When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take on your etiquette questions on honey funds, multiple thank you notes, again, following up on past due invoices, BYO slippers, save the date details, and a postscript on the history of etiquette. All that plus your feedback and an etiquette salute, coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is so proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont, by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I have a new living situation, and there is tons of etiquette afoot. Etiquette is not afoot. Ah, ha, ha. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, my goodness. I had a friend of mine come to live with me. And uh, she and her dog have come to live. Um, and a pet. I, yeah, so I have a new new dog in the house, Mr. Moe. And uh, I can't help but say his name with like this baby voice, and I need to cut it out because I'm sure I sound like an idiot. But... Is it Moe? No, it's Maury, M-O-R-E-Y. But I just, he's always a little Moe. Anyway, okay, stopping that voice now. Um, it's been awesome. I have to say that... My friend has come into this living situation with such a spirit of, I know this is your house, and I want to be respectful, and I know we both have pets, and everything that has gone awry, she has dealt with with just such an air of consideration, respect, and honesty, and our communication skills are off the charts. Yes. I know. It was like Friday night, we both were out. And we woke up the next morning and walked into the living room and we hadn't seen when we came home the night before, the dogs had peed in the living room. And I'm talking, this was not good. This was like white couch, both of them because it was different colors. So you knew that it was different dogs, you know? And so it was like, no one could blame the other's dog, but both of us have taken this attitude of, Oh my gosh, we just have to get that cleaned up. I will tell you that should you ever need to remove blood stains from anything, cold water is the trick. Four hours, the stains were completely gone. Completely gone. I mean, disappeared. So, per- persistent soaking? Persistent soaking, cold water soak, and that was it. Um, just so you know, both dogs are okay. The discoloration was a, a once, once-off effect. Both dogs have been okay since then, but... Pardon the, the yeah. diversion, a little gentle agitation during the soak? No, no, just soak. Mostly I did a little bit of a salt. Uh, you take some coarse salt and make kind of a paste with some water. And I scrubbed that on it, but that didn't really do anything in the moment. I also tried hydrogen peroxide was the other. It didn't bubble up the way it was supposed to. So I thought maybe the cold water had nixed the effect of it. But all I know is I left that thing in a tub. It's a white, white 
couch and I left the the slipcover for it in a tub for over four hours and the stains were completely gone. Ice water? No, just cold. Just cold. Like cold. And I mean, we're in Vermont in in the winter, so the pipes are really cold. But it was unbelievable. And the attitude was, how can I help? It was, oh my gosh, if the stains don't come out, let me know so I can help either for cost of repair or replace. It was, what can we do in the future to keep this from happening again? Those were the conversations that Kayla and I were having. And it was such a relief to not be in a situation where someone was trying to defend their pet. My pet would never do that. Or to be in the situation where it was like, well, this must be your dog that's doing it. It was none of that. It was clearly we have a problem. How can we fix it? And everything from items that get moved into the house to suggestions about how the house is organized have all been with so much thought and care, but ease, too. It hasn't been, like, overly heavy. Mm -hmm. I've been just incredibly impressed and excited about my new living situation. Well, you you did kind of write the book on roommates. (laughs) It it runs into, it makes you worry. I'm like, so I wrote this book. Please don't hold it against me because I'm not perfect either. Like, I'm human with emotions, and I don't always get it right. (laughs) I I, I should share. Lizzie Post's first solo project as an author was a book about newly independent etiquette. It was a book that was... How do you work this life thing is what it was called. And how old were you when you wrote it? I was like 24. Yeah. yeah, I was like 24. I mean, it's a different perspective. And at 34, I'm now still living with roommates, sharing my living space. But it's been cool seeing everything work out. It's like, I feel like our readers, when they write back and say, oh, my gosh, I tried it and it worked. I'm like, hey, I'm doing this and it's working. <laughs> like, I have this picture in my mind of you two waking up in the morning and coming into the room and these two dogs with very guilty expressions sort of sitting there <laughs> looking up at you. I will also say last night was really fun because we cooked a Blue Apron together, which you know I love. And it was great. She said, OK, deal. Anytime that you want to share a Blue Apron with me, I'll do all the dishes. And I snatched up that deal so fast. I said, yes, yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. You cook all clean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, that's amazing. Um, but we you know, we'll both wind up cleaning. But it was it just good. It's nice to have your home life when you're sharing it with someone new be something that you feel really good about. My parents have lived with you cook, I clean for 40 plus years now. So who does which? Uh, usually my mom would do the cook, dad would do the queen. Okay, gotcha. But dad makes a good soup, so... <laughs> On soup nights it switches. <laughs> well, we need to make a little switch ourselves because I am really excited to hear how good things are working out, but we have a show to do. <laughs> we do have a show to do, so let's tackle some questions. Let's do it. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know you want it on the show. I am totally asking you this first question because you did. Okay, easy on the caffeine, Lizzie. You did this. Um, you, you, and you and Pooj actually did this for your wedding, and I thought you would have some good advice and personal experience to share. So the first question is Honey Fund? Question mark. Dear Dan and Lizzie, thank you so much for your podcast. A friend introduced it to me last summer, and I have since listened to every episode. This podcast has helped me in my personal life, especially considering relationships in light of consideration, honesty, and respect. A question for you. 
I have some friends who are getting married this summer. They are recent college graduates and newly started in their careers, so they don't have much money. Some of our other friends have encouraged them to set up a GoFundMe, where people can donate ahead of time to their honeymoon fund so that they can enjoy a nicer honeymoon without paying for it themselves. What do you think of this? I understand that most people do give cash or gift cards as wedding or shower gifts, but a website such as GoFundMe requesting honeymoon cash seems rather gauche. What advice could I share with them about this situation? Thanks for your input, Rebecca. I love the fact that Rebecca's asking about what advice she could share with them as opposed to exactly like what's right, what's wrong, or it's what should interesting. they do? Yeah. We so, try to avoid that should language. Exactly. So what tell me, you you and Pooj did this for your wedding, right? We did. And I'll be really upfront and honest that we had some concerns yeah. that we are aware. And we're aware that some people think this isn't appropriate, that this is a little gauche, that it's not appropriate to be asking for money and even setting up a service that accepts cash donations. And I consulted the experts. (laughs) (laughs) Turned to family. (laughs) Our Aunt Peggy was our real wedding aficionado who um, was one of the first people to say this is okay. There are trends that are emerging in wedding etiquette and... This is one of them and that there's really um, a lot of similarities between a modern honeymoon registry and an original gift registry. The idea was that you were putting together some guidance for people that were looking to get you something and that once upon a time that was a list of items at a department store that was usually in the hometown of the person who was having the wedding and it it made it easier for the people that were going to be attending the wedding to get things that were going to matter to the couple and also not to – repeat gifts. So you didn't get three gravy boats, but you would know someone had already got the gravy boat. And once upon a time, even those wedding registries maybe seemed a little gauche to people. But traditions change and evolve. And this is a new version of the wedding registry. As is true, when any tradition changes or evolves, it's really worthwhile and it's wise to have an idea about the tradition that preceded the one that you are adopting. We are no longer in that phase where this is early adopters. You're not on the the leading edge, the cutting edge, the bleeding edge of this one. (laughs) So you're really in pretty safe territory here. But I do like to make a little nod to those traditionalists. So I'm going to say it's okay, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But I want to acknowledge that for the people that aren't comfortable giving cash or don't like this particular type of organization of a wedding gift, that what Pooj and I did was we tried to set up a traditional registry as well, a place where people could find physical gifts, tangible gifts that they could either purchase and send or bring to the wedding themselves. And that was our our compromise, our middle ground territory for the traditionalists in our lives. Remind me, did you use a specific website or more generic? Because some are built for honeymoons specifically and others are like GoFundMe is anything you want. I mean, it's basically Kickstarter type you know, chip in type funding that could really be anything. And my inclination would be to select one that's in the wedding category. So this is really what it's for. We used one of the ones that was specific for a honeymoon. Yeah. (laughs) And what it allowed us to do was put up pictures of the places that we were going to be going and to itemize particular expenses that we anticipated from the honeymoon so that we were able to let people know 
uh, w- with some specificity what we were hoping to do with that money. I think it helped people connect to the gift and connect to the giving. It absolutely did. I was I was waiting for you to get to this point because that was what I saw as so exciting when you were doing this was, oh my gosh, I could see that this was for the train ticket. I could see that this was for a total spa day. I could see that this was for a really beautiful dinner out, you know, in this special place or the plane ticket or the hotel. I mean, I loved being able to look at that. I loved watching the relief for you and Pooja as people did donate and contribute as, you know, being able to say, okay, you know, we're going to be able to afford to do X, Y, Z or, you know, wow, that's so exciting. This portion is covered. It was exciting to see your honeymoon get built by the people who love and support you. In our particular case, and longtime listeners of the show will know this because you've you've been along for the ride. And Pooja and I decided to visit India and we were visiting a lot of her family in India. And my parents came with us for a part of that trip. And it was a really special event in our lives and in the lives of both families that were participating in the wedding. And this was a really nice way to invite a lot of the people that were there to participate in that experience and that planning, that anticipation. I I'm trying to remember exactly the site that we used, and I can't, but I do remember (laughs) that we did a lot of research, and it's worth doing a lot of research because different sites will take different percentages of the gifts that people give. Some take a very small fee, in fact, less even than the credit card processing fees that some sites like GoFundMe will take. I Mm -hmm. think it's worth doing a little research and finding a site that lets you do the personalization and the customization that you like and also pay attention to those fees. The really good sites will be upfront and explicit and honest, a tenet of good (laughs) etiquette with the people who are making donations about what percentage of that donation is actually going to get to the people they're giving to. Some people will prefer to write a check, to put it in a card, to give it to you in person. And I think that's a really good thing to stay aware of as well, that you shouldn't expect people to use these services. But for some people, it makes life much easier. Another thing I liked about these sites is that a lot of them really kept good track of who gave, how much they gave. It made it really easy. In fact, they even had checklists set up so you knew when you'd done your thank yous. Oh, that's so good. The only thing I will add, because I just love letting you... Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. 
Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Talk about your experience with it. And because I think you and Pooja did such a great job of it. It was so well received. It was it was done, I think, in the the, the good etiquette way. Um, but what I do want to encourage people to do is to find a site that allows the giver to choose the amount that they give. I actually got turned off of a, a site like that because the minimum was a $50 donation to the honeymoon. And I didn't have $50 to spend on a gift at that time in my life. And so I felt like I couldn't contribute and I felt excluded from being able to participate in that gift. Now, I didn't take it heavily. You know, I got them something else. It was very easy to deal with. But I kind of wished that they had allowed me to be able to choose the amount that I was giving rather than pre-done by $50 increments. So one thing to look for that's a benefit to the guest. I am so glad that you were able to share that with us because I think you guys had a really great experience with it. So, Rebecca, I hope that that gives you some advice to be able to share with your friends and that they're able to have a wonderful honeymoon. Our next question is from at IndieFilm on Twitter. P.S., how did you get the at IndieFilm t- uh, handle? I mean, that's pretty clutch. No numbers, no dashes, no nothing. We got an early adopter here. <laughs> no kidding. IndieFilm. That's a, that's a, I couldn't even get my name. <laughs> so IndieFilm asks, I have a thank you note question. If three people live in the same house but buy separate gifts, should all three get a separate thank you note? I received a joint thank you note with my mother for a separate gift. And the other person who lives with us received a separate thank you note. It was odd. Personally, I thought it was a slight. My sister-in-law and I had issues in the past. My mom thought she was trying to save postage and sent a separate one to my grandmother, the other person living with us, out of respect. So this was when I went back and forth a little bit with Indie Film um, just to ask some questions. But I, I did. I appreciated this question because I think the difference here is that this wasn't a group gift from mom and daughter and grandmother who all live together. They each brought separate gifts. They should each get separate notes, even though they live within the same house. I am with Indie Film's mother in that I don't think this was a slight. I don't think it was intended to lump people together. I don't think it was intended to to be, you know, a little poke and a little insult. I would register with yourself that you prefer your own personal thank you note. Just, hey, okay, that's where I I am on that issue. But I also think that I wouldn't take it too seriously. I'm not sure that I think it was to save postage. I do know that, and you know, after writing tons of thank you notes for a large wedding, that it adds up after a while. But I don't think that was probably the intent. I do think that your mom is right. I think that grandma was given her own separate one out of a level of kind of senior respect that people do. And I'm I'm sorry that you were then lumped in with your mother for a thank you note because obviously it wasn't received as well as it could have been. And knowing past issues, it would have been really nice if your sister-in-law had thought about that for a second and then given you the proper thank you note that you deserved. But she didn't. And I don't think it was overly intentional. So I'm kind of in the camp of your mom. I'd, I'd let it go and just move on knowing that you are aware of how it should have gone. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, what, am I being too harsh here? I don't think so at okay. all. And I like the good 
faith effort that you're acknowledging in the other person that you're not assuming that they intended this as disrespect. I think it's always important to keep that that assumption of good intention about other people. It's a I good place so to too. operate from. I think so too. If you're wrong, then so be it. But at least you started off in that that place of of good thinking. You're in the high road already if you come from that good thinking place. The little twist that jumped out at me about this one is that it because we've we've addressed the question of multiple thank oh, you yeah. notes in the same envelope. Oh yeah, multiple times. Yeah, this was the twist of it's on the same note. Yes, and I, I wondered <laughs> to myself. So maybe if they'd written two notes and stuck them in that same envelope, you start to establish some of that distinction, some of that that difference. But it definitely indicates to me the importance importance of the thank you note. It's another reminder of how how important it is to people to really feel that appreciation and to feel that it's personal. And we're going to get into that in our feedback section. We have collected all of your wonderful responses to the thank you the thank you note question that uh, Billy and I, Uncle Billy and I posed, and we've got some really great responses. <laughs> so stick around. Our next question is titled Pass Due, and I have a feeling that a lot of people experience this and would love some etiquette advice around it. Lizzie and Dan, thank you so much for your enjoyable podcast. I look forward to it every week to listen to when I work from home. I'm an independent contractor and have three to four contracts at a time. I know there are unique issues that arise working for myself as opposed to being an employee, but there is one issue that keeps coming up. When I submit my invoices to one of my clients, I have to remind them often multiple times to pay me after 30 days, and I just dread asking where my money is. The client needs a reminder on a monthly basis, and I feel disrespected by his lack of timely payment. And I also know he doesn't do this with everyone or consistently. During the past year, I have been paid on time two out of ten times, and he has also paid others on time while ignoring my invoices. I have addressed it both in email and Skype, as he is not someone who prefers to talk on the phone one-on-one. We see each other once a year, as well as have asked for it in a contract with a 30-day payment stipulation, which he happily agreed to and signed. I need to renew my contract and want to be firm about my expectations for his agreement to a payment schedule, and I don't feel it's my job to ask him where my money is every time. What are my options for communicating this? I am considering adding a late payment fee to my contract, asking how he plans to fix this recurring issue, etc. I want to be professional, clear, and protect myself. How should I approach this? Thanks. Pass due. This is a problem. It sure is. One of the things that I learned working for a family business is that this is something that a lot of companies have difficulty with. A lot of businesses have difficulty with. Something about working at the Emily Post Institute really seems to inspire um, good behavior from the people that we do business with. Our accounts receivables <laughs> is just tiny. It, we, um, and, and I really appreciate that. And I appreciate that from the people that we do business with. But I know it's not true for every business. I know this is a big problem in the business community. And it can be hard. You sign a contract, you know, I'll- All our contracts have similar, like, pay within 30 days, pay within 60 days, that kind of a thing. That's very standard contract language. I don't feel that past due is saying, like, I need the money within 24 hours of you receiving your commercial or whatever it is that he or she provides. Not at all. Finance charges, late fee charges are common. In fact, they're so common that I think many people expect them. And I think that people often... Uh, have so internalized that there is a small fee associated if you don't pay on time that it's really even up to them a little bit. Maybe I'm going to pay late and I'm going to absorb that cost. And 
maybe I've got a bunch of bills that stacked up this month and it's not personal and I'm going to pick and choose which ones I'm going to be able to pay right now. And different people have different feelings about how appropriate that is or not. As long as you're clear ahead of time about what those finance charges and late fees are, I think they're a standard part of doing business. If you're going to change the way that you do that, I think it's important to let people know. I would make it a blanket policy. I would do it across all of your clients. I would make it, as you're talking about here, a part of your standard business procedure and practice. I would also probably look into my contemporaries in my field and see if they're charging late fees and things like that, because I wouldn't want to be the only guy out there with a massive late fee for like a 30-day you know, overdue. And all of a sudden people are like, I don't want to work with that person because their contract is really tough. Whereas these others at least have the latitude. And even at our company at Dan's Right, people do seem to pay us on time. But I will say that sometimes that doesn't happen. And I don't think we had late fees instilled. And I'm just curious as to if that's something that's the norm within your industry. And if you see your contemporaries doing that, I would say go for it. If you don't, I might hesitate on Putting it after 60 days, I might have it be like a, you know, a a six month thing or a four month thing or something that just expands it out so that it's really for the really egregious. Hey, come on. We're really like five months past when you're supposed to have paid me now. You know, here's a 10 percent upcharge or something. I don't know. I like that idea of looking around your industry. I think that's really smart. It's definitely something that will help motivate a reply (laughs) if you do decide to adopt it. I want to address the etiquette portion of this just a little bit. And I want to leave you with a reminder that it's business. It's not personal. And it can feel really personal. Business is so important that it's easy for our emotions to get involved. There was a saying that I became familiar with back when I worked for a contemporary dance company. Yes, I worked for a contemporary dance company in my (laughs) 20s. We'll talk about that on another show. But we used to say it's not show friends, it's show business. And the idea is that it's business and that you want to treat it as business. It's why when we're talking about etiquette on this show, we talk about business standards where you defer to a slightly more formal standard. And that's an acknowledgement of that money's on the line, people's livelihoods are involved, and you want to tread a little more carefully. You want to hold yourself to a standard that's a uniform standard that's maybe a little higher standard that you than you might hold yourself to in your social sphere or with the people that you're most intimate with and who will give you a little latitude for the discretions or the little faux pas that might be a part of who you are in those circumstances and situations. I have also found, and Dan, you can tell me if you found this as, as you're the other person running our company with me, that when I come at a frustrating situation giving the person the benefit of the doubt and with a really positive, simplistic attitude about it, that I find it's very clear and calm in tone, that that is very effective. My advice, for instance, to past due would be rather than get annoyed and show your annoyance because this person isn't doing what they're supposed to do and it's affecting you financially. So that's an emotional hard hit that you're taking right there. Pull that emotion out of it and get to the facts. Hi, Jim. I'm checking up on invoice number 1205. I've attached it here so you can double check it. The payment is currently 60 days overdue. Payments can be made by sending a check to blank or via PayPal or via whatever it is that you use. But rather than this is really affecting me now and I need your money, don't don't go that route. Just the clear definition. This also gives you a traceable. Hi, I've sent four notices now. 
at some point, you know, you you do get to say it's time to pay this bill. And this is the way of doing that without adding all the emotional reasons that you need to send this particular notice for. And I think pulling it out and sticking to the facts in your communication is strong and it gives someone something to reply to that's concrete rather than emotional. And in business, that's a good place to be operating from. Pastu, we really hope this helps and that you are paid promptly and on time in the future. Our next question is titled BYOS, Bring Your Own Slippers. And I love this because it's like a follow-up to one of our most hotly debated topics. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My husband and I have received a kind invitation from our cousins, another couple who live in the same town as we do. They want to get together for a simple meal each month to stay in touch during a busy time in all of our lives. We accepted happily and began this new ritual in early December. Which brings me to my etiquette question. Each time we make plans, we are asked to get together at their home in order to accommodate the schedule of their firstborn, who is just shy of a year old. While I'd rather have the opportunity to reciprocate every other month, we've accepted this arrangement. In making their home an ideal environment for their child, they have chosen to become a shoe-free house. This is also acceptable, of course. However, they do not provide any slippers for guests. Is it rude for us to bring our own slippers when we visit? It's not something I'd like to do, but they have slick hardwood floors and a flight of kitchen steps with no banister or handrail. We also inevitably spend time in the kitchen, which I personally do not want to do in my stocking feet. Alternatively, is there a polite way to suggest providing slippers for guests? Thanks for all the positivity and good advice, slipping and sliding in PA. (laughs) I love that, slipping and sliding in PA. I also love that slipping and sliding brought up something I had never thought about, which is the idea that a lot of people probably don't want to be in a kitchen, which, you know, often things are dropping on the floor. It's not the cleanest floor in the house in their stockinged feet or in their slippered feet or in their bare feet or in their socked feet. We often hear from people who I think are concerned about the the state of their stocking feet and not wanting to take their shoes off in front of other people as yes. being a reason not to want to take off your shoes. This is sort of a twist on a that twist for sure. That. I'm not sure I really want to be on your floors. But I kind of like the way she said it because it was totally understandable and something I hadn't really thought of. That being said, we all the time time tell hosts that if they're going to ask people to remove their shoes, please have something to offer your guests. I grew up with a family, the Henrys, and Mrs. Henry, she knitted and she knit all these slippers in different sizes, in different colors, so that if you didn't love pink, you could have dark maroon or gray, and they were patterned. They were awesome, different sizes, everything. And you just knew that when you were at the Henry's house, you took off your shoes and you put on a pair of slippers. But what do you do if the host isn't doing that? I do think you should should bring your own slippers and bring your own indoor shoes. If you choose to bring actual shoes, let your host know, hey, just so you know, I cleaned or I sanitized the bottom of these. They are ready for baby, (laughs) you know, floors where children crawl and such. And I think that's important to let them know because I think some hosts who really are concerned about the, you know, the shoe germs that can get into the house would be concerned that your shoes aren't clean, even though they're your indoor shoes. So reassure them that way. As to whether to suggest that they should be providing slippers, I think this is really delicate territory. And I personally think that you only do it with people with whom you are very regularly sharing advice. I would feel fine if my mother made the mention Mm -hmm. that, you know, hey, Lizzie, you know, if you're going to start now asking everyone to take off their shoes, you should get like a little basket of slippers or something for people to use. Totally understandable. This is someone who gives me advice, helps guide me in life. You know, I'm used to hearing suggestions from 
cousins are sometimes on a really close plane. You and I could probably talk that way to each other. You might say, "Hey, cuz, it wouldn't be a bad idea if we're removing shoes just to keep that." I know you probably wouldn't do that to me in the moment upon entering your house. I would see you doing it to me, however, in a moment where we're talking about the shoes on, shoes off idea and what makes it successful, what doesn't. You know, now we're the kind of etiquette geeks that would have that conversation. This family might not, but I think you kind of have to play with where are we at our friendship. I have a cousin, Carolyn. I would totally be able to offer her this advice if she was setting up a new house. These guys are established. You're like what three months into having done this arrangement, maybe. I'm not sure that you're in the best standing, or I don't know your relationship with them enough to know whether you can really provide this advice to them in a gentle and and caring way. Not that you wouldn't be able to deliver it that way. Sorry, Dan's laughing at me across the mic, but just that that you know it just might not quite be the right relationship depending on how close you are. I am I am smiling because just yay cousins, <laughs> and I'm thinking about all the different cousin relationships in life and <laughs> the the cousins that live in the big city far away that. You you don't see as often the cousins that live in your hometown that you maybe have this kind of relationship with. I also am so appreciating the effort to grow this cousin <laughs> relationship know, right? and maintain it and, and honor it and really find a way to, to continue to sustain it and give it a vehicle to grow. I don't have a lot to add. I think that's some good advice. I think those are some good tips, some good ways to think about it. The thought that I have, if I was in that yeah, discussion yeah. where I was already having the the talk about ways to handle this, I might mention that I like to keep slippers from hotels where I'm, when I'm traveling. Nice. I gather them up from the planes when you get them for free or the nice hotels that lay them out and sort of build a little supply that way because I'm not a big knitter myself. <laughs> really? <laughs> the, the other idea that occurred to me is that Pooja's parents who visit us on a regular basis have taken to keeping a couple pairs of slippers at the house. And if you know someone well enough, if you're a repeat visitor and it's easy, it's not going to create a mess for them. They've got a little coat closet where all the slippers are stacked up as is. You you might have a little slipper that stays. Dan Posenning, that's a fresh idea that we have never suggested to anybody. But when you regularly entertain with people and you have a shoes off policy, maybe say, hey, if there's a little pair of ballet flats or a little pair of like dress shoes that you want to leave here, by all means, go for it. That way you have a pair of your own shoes waiting for you. I would totally give you a pair of my old tennis shoes so I could wear them around your house. (laughs) Why not? We'll make a little cubby. They'll live there. I love it. Slipping and sliding, I want you to do one final thing for me. Please wish your cousins the best with that little (laughs) not quite yet a one-year-old. And um, I really appreciate your making the effort to get over to their place because it can be tough to take that little baby out. Okay, Dan, (laughs) I will come all the way up to the side of the mountain to visit you. Yes! (laughs) And whatever you do, wherever you go, you want to put your best foot forward. Our next question is titled, Save the Dates, Sweethearts. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. My fiancé and I have a question about Save the Dates and knew the Awesome Etiquette podcast could help. We will be getting married on Long Island next spring. Our wedding ceremony will be held at our church in a small town, with the reception being held in a different town about 20 minutes away. Many of our guests will likely be staying at a hotel in yet another town 10 minutes away from that. 
What location should be put on our Save the Dates? Town ceremony, town reception, or town hotel? Or perhaps just Long Island, although we worry that that would be too broad. It's important to us to provide the appropriate location as many of our guests will be traveling from out of town and we want to help them plan their travels. Thank you for all that you do, the Save the Date Sweethearts. Oh, Save the Date Sweethearts, I really like the way you're thinking about this. You're not just reminding yourself to send a Save the Date because that's what you do. You're thinking about the intent of a Save the Date message. It's both to help people plan their schedule to know when this thing is going to happen, but also if they're actually going to plan travel, take advantage of knowing early to make reservations or book flights and get oftentimes cheaper flights and better reservations because they are acting early. You want to facilitate that. And that's one of the things that a save the date can do. And staying aware of that is a good way to send a good save the date. And you know what's really funny is that I love the save the date because it's considerate for all those reasons. And it's not actually become totally ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. Like oftentimes you do a save the date if it's a destination wedding, if it's a year that, you know, for instance, 2016, Nobody in my life got married, pretty much. I mean, like a couple. There were a couple, but that was it. And then 2017 is shaping up to be like no weddings. 2018, I already have five weddings. This has never Holy happened smokes. to me before. It's Everyone said this happens when you're 26, 27. This is happening to me at 34. All of a sudden, I've got five weddings that I know about for 2018 already. So I feel like it's a busy year for weddings in my life. And if I was starting to hear that like 10 of my friends had gotten engaged within the year, I'd probably say, I'm going to send a save the date now to lock in my date, let friends and guests know, that sort of thing. So save the dates aren't mandatory, but they're a really good thing to think about for all the reasons Dan listed. They are useful. This particular question deals with an issue I find tricky. Yeah. Because you've got three different venues. And when you're thinking about that intent, naming the town might not really facilitate someone making a good hotel reservation. And Long Island is too broad. I can start by (laughs) just checking that off the list. (laughs) I will tell you that probably the best way to do this is to simply add a little notation at the very bottom of your save the date that says ceremony in... Happy Town, Long Island. Reception in Party Town, Long Island, 20 minutes away. And that's all you need. I don't think you need to do the the hotel town only because there's probably more than one hotel in the greater area and let them choose which they'd like to go to. And I think it's better if you just do where the ceremony and where the reception are going to be. But it, it literally is that easy as just a little in parentheses or at the bottom, you know, note ceremony in this town, you know, and reception held in this town, I would list either. But I I would probably go with the ceremony only because chronologically they're going to go to the ceremony first. So on the actual save the date, if we were doing kind of a semi-formal save the date, you'd have the words, please save the date. And then the next line would be for the wedding of. And then the next line would be the couple's names. And then the next line is the date. And then the following line is the town and state or town and, and region that you're in. And I would have that be the ceremony because that's the first place people mm-hmm. are going to go to. And then the note below that says, you know, ceremony's here, but reception's here 20 minutes away. Very simple, very easy. You could also do a super simple save the date that's just uh, Kate and Brian are getting hitched Saturday, June 30th, 2017. Happy Town, Long Island. Reception held after in Party Town, Long Island. Something like that. I'm trying to remember, when is it that you send the information about the hotels where you've maybe reserved blocks of rooms? 
officially, Dan, you'd want to make sure that a month before the wedding, you, you've given people info about hotels and such. But I would go even farther. I would do a couple months before. I would even do very soon after the save the date if you're very sure about everything, because it, it does give people a chance to jump on travel deals or... If they know the various hotel options and they're looking at flights, they just have more time to be watching the numbers, playing the game of when can I get the cheapest flight. So I always think the sooner the better. Um, If I sent it really early and I had like an 18-month window of of an engagement that was going on Mm -hmm. planning the wedding, I might also follow up with like a reminder card later of, hey, don't forget to book your travel for the wedding or just something or notice email, some kind of a reminder with this info because... At 18 months, it's like you have so much time. People are likely to lose all that good info that you just sent them in the mail and spent money on. No, I, I don't know. Is that is that crazy? Am I, am I going too practical and avoiding the etiquette here? I no, I, I like the idea of a word of mouth campaign yeah. sort of as soon as it becomes convenient, as soon as you've reserved that block of rooms. And this is one of those places where I think the wedding website might really be your friend. You that think? They're, yeah. Uh, unlike the invitation, which... I know from experience just the the details of getting it put together can actually make it um, uh, a headache. (laughs) I was going to say a project that might end up getting pushed out. That deadline for that might end up being closer to the wedding than you want to distribute the information about the hotels, the travel arrangements, the specifics that you're talking about in this question. The wedding website's really useful. And also, I'm aware that for the exactly the reason that you were talking about, that if information comes too soon, it's no longer front of mind for people, that you oftentimes don't get that official invitation out until closer to the wedding oh, as much well. Much closer, much closer. But for the Save the Date sweethearts, we hope this answers your question, that you absolutely can put a notation stating that the ceremony and the reception are in different towns that are about 20 minutes away. But I do think giving them the heads up is a really considerate and thoughtful way to go about doing your Save the Date cards. In the spirit of good etiquette, we like to conclude our questions by thanking you for submitting your questions. We so appreciate it. You can send your next question, update, comment, or etiquette salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want it on the show. I see that there are different letters for different purposes. Every episode, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions that we answer and the topics that we cover. And a few weeks ago, Uncle Billy and I posed the question of when you receive a gift in person and you thank the person in person, do you then have to follow up with a thank you note as well? And what I loved was that we got some seriously varied responses on this. And I'm excited. I feel like everybody has a voice in this feedback segment. (laughs) We call this segment feedback, but I really like this segment when we also get a little bit of pushback as well. It is good. It gives us a perspective of all the voices out there. And that's something that we really, truly value. We don't always go down every perspective's route when we create the etiquette advice, but we at least hear it. We understand where it's coming from. It helps us shape the advice for the future. So one of the first pieces that we got back was from Simon. And Simon said, Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I'm catching up on the podcast and wanted to weigh in on your question about thank you notes. I was raised to always send a thank you note. I had never heard that it was 
unnecessary if you open the gift in person. I think that as the gift giver, I always appreciate someone taking a few minutes to write a quick thank you if I've taken the time, energy, and finances to give them a gift. Thanks so much for everything you do on Awesome Etiquette. Emily offered... Hello. I have some feedback about the thank you note discussion. My wonderful mother always taught me to write a thank you note for every gift I received, even if I did thank the giver in person. As a child, I learned that it was my way of showing them how much I appreciated it because I took time to write a letter on my own and send it their way. A couple of months ago, I hosted a baby shower for a good friend. She was very appreciative of the day, and her husband thanked me in person as well. But she didn't do anything beyond this verbal thanks. I tried not to feel annoyed or hurt at this, but as I had a baby myself not too long ago, I felt it was a little bit below the line as far as appreciation goes. When I was given a baby shower, I gave both of my hosts a gift, as well as a thank you note, and I made sure to thank them in person. I know that maybe this is just my style of thanking someone, but I do feel that the written thanks shows an extra effort on the part of the receiver. It's always nice after giving a gift to receive a happy little thank you note in the mail. Best, Emily. I like it. So we've got two here where people grew up with the notion of no matter what, you send the note and they see and feel and understand the value of it. But I like that they're not putting that on other people all the time. But they notice it when it's not there. It felt a little bit like not quite the same level of appreciation. It was. It's interesting to hear how people respond to this. In the situation with the shower, I really agree. I oh, feel totally, like 100%. It, when you're talking about thanking hosts and thanking people, particularly for shower gifts, wedding gifts, that that thank you note is is enough of a standard that I would feel its absence even with the personal thank you. And I think all the things that Emily listed about the shower that this is an event that someone hosts for you that kind of goes above and beyond. Beyond the usual, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. That's a sincere in-person thank you. But this person did so much more than just get you a gift. They organized. They got friends that they don't even know to come to your ha- their house to, to celebrate you. You write the note. You get them a hostess gift. <laughs> well, and, and Simon really reminds me that etiquette is about opportunity, not obligation. That totally. even if there isn't a a rock solid Emily Post expectation yeah. that you send a thank you note if you've had a chance to thank someone in person, that it really feels special to get <laughs> that thank you note to receive it in the mail and it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to make somebody feel special. So oftentimes that personal thank you makes someone feel special. To have that followed up by that written note, extra special. I like it, Simon. Anna had kind of a cheeky answer. She said, I send a written thank you note unless the gift is from an annoying in-law or family member. Then I pretend to like it and re-gift it to someone I dislike. Rinse and repeat. Maybe not our most etiquette angle, but definitely a perspective. <laughs> Robin says, always send a handwritten thank you. And Hayden shares, a note can't hurt, and it shows the giver you appreciate their thoughtfulness even after the moment of opening. Of course you'd thank them in person if they are there, unless you were raised in a barn. Taking the time after the moment has passed to write a note adds more sincerity and authenticity to your oral thank you, in my humble opinion. I liked her humble opinion. We got a voicemail from Karen who had a different perspective, and I think a good group of people are going to appreciate hearing this. Hi, this is Karen. I just wanted to say congratulations to Dan and Pooja. And also, my comment is on thank you notes. Every time I hear you guys talk about thank you notes, I feel like a minority, so I want to speak up for the non-thank you noters. Honestly, when I do receive thank you notes, I'm grateful, but only for a few moments, and then I generally, well, I'm sorry to say this, Lizzie, throw it out. 
and I actually don't mind if I give somebody a gift and don't receive a thank you note. So there are those of us out there who don't put the importance of thank you notes or put an importance on thank you notes that many of you and your listeners do. And I just wanted to say that so that those of us who are bad at writing thank you notes can feel a little bit better. Thanks. Bye. I loved Karen's perspective because I think there are those people out there that just kind of don't care whether they get a thank you note or not, or they get it and then they say, that's so nice, and into the recycling bin it goes. It's not a sentimental thing, but it's appreciated, and I I put Karen in that category. She appreciates it. She doesn't find it necessary. I think it offers a strong perspective that you can give gifts and feel good about doing favors and actions and good deeds without needing a lot of return, but I also appreciate the fact that most of our listeners like that gratitude coming back to them, that they appreciate the exchange that it kind of completes. But I loved that Karen sounds like a nice person. Karen sounds like she understands the world of give and take and consideration, respect and honesty. And yet she says, you know, but I really don't care about this thank you note thing. And I want to give voice to that. And I'm really, really, really grateful that Karen called in. This is my first time hearing that particular voicemail. And two things struck me. One, a fundamental tenet of good etiquette being honesty. I I really appreciate the honesty. And thank you for speaking up and sharing your voice, Karen. I'm also struck by a certain generosity of spirit that what's important to me is that I've given the gift and it's there's not an expectation attached to it. And I feel like that's an honest generosity of spirit where it's not about uh, judging or assessing of how someone responds. I love that perspective. I loved Allie's perspective, our next listener who wrote in. She shared kind of bills and and my perspective on the situation, which she said, My mom always said to open a gift in person whenever possible because to do otherwise diminishes the enjoyment the giver has of presenting the gift in person. The recipient then gets the pleasure of thanking the giver in person. Thank you notes are to be sent if the gift can't be opened in person. That's kind of our typical party line. And we'll close out this segment with Elisa, who says, I think it depends on the gift and the person giving it. A substantial or especially thoughtful gift may lend itself naturally to an extra written note of gratitude. A giver with strict or more formal notions of protocol may also expect one. When in doubt, do the note. An extra thank you is never unappreciated or misplaced. I'd say that Elisa gives us the CRH, Consideration, Respect, Honesty, version of this answer, which is to really put it through the paces and use that platinum rule. What was the situation? Who's the person I'm dealing with? This is how I will execute it all based on that. I love it, Elisa. So there we have it. A good, broad perspective of thank you notes. Definitely a lot of people saying that you you should send the thank you note no matter what. A few people saying kind of our party line advice of if you do it in person, you're exempt. But given the situation, you might write the extra showers we talked about. When someone throws you an event, that kind of goes above and beyond. So you make your thank you and you show your gratitude above and beyond. And still, Karen, with our good advice of, hey, not everybody cares about this, guys. And it doesn't mean that we aren't ungrateful. And it doesn't mean that we don't appreciate those thank you notes, too. We aren't. We just aren't sentimental about them. I love it. I love all the angles. Thank you so much for sending in all your feedback. And please keep it coming. You can send your next comment, feedback, pushback, or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Oh, and I want to write the cousins Jimmy and Alice and thank them too. I don't know how you do it, Wally. You make it seem so easy.
Hey, it's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And on today's Postscript, we are going to take a look at some historical etiquette. And they kind of run the gamut. But these are some traditions that, that we do fairly often. And it's kind of nice to know where they come from. And the first one is touching glasses for toasts. Clink. Or as my sister used to say, this was the cutest thing ever. Whenever everyone would toast and they'd clink their glasses, my sister would say, chat. And I love that because it's like you clink your glasses. Now it's time to talk. (laughs) I like that also. On episode 128, we had a question about informal toasting, and it got us thinking a little bit about toasting and in particular where the tradition of touching glasses for toasts began. Clink. There are a couple of explanations for why it is customary to clink glasses together as a way of finalizing a toast. The first is that the gesture is a subtler form of spilling a little of your beverage into your neighbor's glass, a practice that was developed as a sign of faith. If you were trying to poison your dinner companion, you too would be poisoned. I really like this explanation because it combines the two origins I've heard of toasting, one proving that you're not poisoning someone, and the other being that the toast started as a libation that was poured out to honor the gods or God. A slightly less cynical origin comes from the Middle Ages when alcohol was thought to contain literal spirits that made those who partook behave outrageously. Bells were thought to drive away such evil spirits, and clinking of glasses was the closest approximation on hand. There was a lot of conflicting information as to the exact origin of this tradition, so I like sharing all of the information that we found. (laughs) All of the lore that's out there. Our next piece of historical etiquette is giving an RSVP to an invitation. So why do invitations written in English inevitably include the initials of the French phrase respondez s'il vous plaît? The French phrase for respond if you please became a staple of high society's invitations in the 18th and 19th centuries because French was considered a classier alternative to English for social occasions. Although this habit of using French for everything fell by the wayside by 1845, these four letters were standing alone on English invitations to request a response. Our next topic comes from a similar time frame, and it has to do with the origins of pulling out a lady's chair for her. Ah. Many small chivalrous acts towards women, such as opening doors and pulling out chairs, stem from the elaborate outfits worn by women (laughs) of high society years ago. These clothes were so restrictive that anyone wearing the fashionable styles required assistance with these things. That makes total sense. Have you ever seen a bustle? Have you ever seen those uh, the attachments that used to be under women's dresses? Oh, my! I mean, famous, famous, famous would be gone with the wind and the scene where she's getting dressed. And I couldn't imagine having to sit in those outfits. Never wore a hoop skirt? <laughs> Never worn a hoop skirt. But boy, if I ever do, I hope you'll help me with my chair. Done. <laughs> Number four is saying bless you after sneezes. This practice dates back to at least 590 CE when Pope Gregory I commanded that anyone who sneezed immediately be blessed out of fear that it was a sign that they had contracted the plague. While there is evidence of blessing a sneezer mentioned in writings as early as 77 AD, we can't determine the exact reason people started to say, bless you. However, after it became really ingrained in our society, many people began to come up with reasons, such as a sign of the plague, evil spirits being shot out of the soul, (laughs) and the sneezer's Heart stopping. That one I hadn't. I'd heard that Gesundheit somehow refers back to sneeze the devil out or the devil out or mm-hmm. something like that. And I, I'd heard of that one, but I hadn't heard the sneezer's heart stopping. That's kind of a fascinating one. To me, this etiquette dates back to the movie Reality Bites. Re- or no, no. Everything 
dates back no, to reality. Not reality bites. bites singles. Singles. Oh, the other reality bites. Singles. The, the like grunge, grunge the grunge rom com. Yeah, yeah. And and all the one of the protagonists wants is someone who at first she has a very high standard for her relationships. Yeah. By the end of the movie, all she wants is someone who will say bless you when she sneezes. Aww. And of course, in the final scene, her love interest says bless you. <laughs> Well, we want to thank our intern, Michaela, for finding this article from Mental Floss. And we'll be posting the full piece to our social media. So if you want to check out all 15 historical etiquette facts that they found, uh, you can visit us on Facebook and Twitter where we will share the link. But there's more. What's that? We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. And that can come in so many forms. Today's salute comes from Kathy, who wants to salute Leah for her kind gesture during a difficult time. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. This is Kathy Bradley. Believe it or not, I have been a listener to Awesome Etiquette from the very beginning. And your podcast is a welcome dose of civility and good humor in my week. I'm calling to offer an etiquette salute to my friend, Leah King Bedina. Several years ago, the husband of my aunt, to whom I've always been very close, passed away after a long illness. Leah, who had never met my aunt, called me upon hearing the news to express her sympathy. But she went beyond that. She didn't just ask if there was anything she could do. She specifically said, If you don't already have someone to stay at your aunt's house during the funeral to watch over things, I would like to come up and do that so that all the people who knew and loved your uncle can be at the service. I can't tell you what a blessing that was to my family to know that the house was being watched and that someone was there to accept condolence gifts in our absence and that no one had to miss the funeral to accomplish that. Leah took a day off from work and drove two hours one way to offer this gift of kindness to me and to my family during a very difficult time. And it is just one example of how she brings goodness into the world. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share that with others. Kathy, thank you so much for such a great salute. Leah's um, generosity and thoughtfulness during a difficult time is definitely worthy of an etiquette salute. A lot of people don't know that funerals are actually, because they're publicly listed postings, it means that the houses of those who have passed away or the houses of the family that are in the area where the funeral is going to be are often targets for robberies. And having someone to both, I love I love the positive side, someone there to receive condolence gifts or to receive visitors, but also someone there as a, as a safety net for the house is a really smart and wonderful thing. And it's a it's a great gesture to make if you know of someone who who has experienced a loss. And um, the fact that Leah lived two hours away and took a day off, I mean, she she truly was really thinking of how could I support my friend during this difficult time. And I just think that's such a beautiful gesture. And what a great etiquette salute. Kathy, I want to add my voice to the appreciation of your salute. Um, someone very close to me was a victim of this kind of crime. And you hear about it, but it it's a real thing and it happens to people. And while it's not common, when it does happen, it is particularly soul-destroying. And I just want to thank you both for sharing the information and um, that amazing salute because it's really, really thoughtful for someone to make that kind of effort on your behalf. 
that's it for our show today. We want to thank you for listening. We always say that there is no show without you. So thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter... I'm at Daniel underscore post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. So help us out and please subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you can find us and leave us a review. And we want to thank our wonderful editor, Chris Albertine, and our Awesome Etiquette intern, Michaela Varanoff. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? 